This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we will explore the interesting stories of business executives, entrepreneurs, and industry leaders who are shaking things up and growing their companies. It is time to make some waves. Now here's your host, Tom Singer. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Making Waves at Sea Level. Thank you so much for being part of this show. You know, I was just telling our upcoming guests that it has been over six years and now over 620 episodes since I started podcasting. And the world of podcasting has changed so much during that time. Uh, I originally got into this thinking I was going to do 50 episodes. It was my way to have access to really cool entrepreneurs who were doing interesting things. It was like my own little college course that I was just going to share as a podcast. Uh, But we uh, had some early success with the show and I liked it. It started leading to more business opportunities for me. And the show has grown and has changed and it's been a lot of fun. I now actually host four different shows, if you will. Uh, I never thought I would be a professional podcast, a podcaster, but uh, I host this one. I host a show called the Digital Enterprise Society, which is the official podcast of you guessed it, the Digital Enterprise Society. Uh, During COVID, I started hosting the webinar talk show, which is a video show that I host with my friend Eliz Green, where we talk about things in the meetings industry and other industries and how to make uh, webinars and conferences better than just talking heads over PowerPoint. And then big announcement, January 5th, We are launching in conjunction with the National Speakers Association, a brand new podcast that is going to be the voice of those who get paid to speak. And that is going to be called Speakernomics. And that's coming out January 5th, 2021. I'm really excited to be the host of that show as well. So speaking of this show, Making Waves at Sea Level, today we're going to talk a little bit about how do you make waves and maybe sell your business because who doesn't want to get value out of their business? But before we do that, I have to thank the first sponsor of today's episode. So today's episode is brought to you in part by Spectrum Reach. At Spectrum Reach, they know three things better than anyone. Number one, they know how to harness the power of multi-screen advertising. Number two, they offer a simplified one-stop shop destination for marketing solutions. And number three, they know what makes our cities and towns tick because they're our neighbors. They are the most trusted media partner in America. To find out more, visit them at SpectrumReach.com. So on today's episode, right here on Making Waves at Sea Level, we have John Warlow. And John wrote a book in 2011 called Built to Sell. And uh, coming out in January, his third book is coming out, and that is going to be called The Art of Selling Your Business. His company is called The Value Builder System. You can find it at valuebuilder.com. And John is really an expert on how do you build, accelerate, and then harness the value of your company. And this is awesome. So, John, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Tom. Good to be with you. Hey, glad to have you. So, let's talk about this idea of building, 
accelerating and harnessing the value of your company. Yeah, sure thing. I mean, it's a topic that a lot of owners think about. You know, a lot of times we focus as owners on external metrics like revenue, profitability, which are great sort of measures, but they ultimately don't necessarily correlate exactly to the value of your company. Sometimes growing the revenue of your business doesn't necessarily equate to growing the value of it. And so that's what we're all about is, is what are the drivers that will move up the value of your company. Sometimes the size of your business is important, but there are a lot of other, other drivers and that's, that's what we talk about a lot. So let's go back to earlier in your career. Let's go back to before 2011, where you sure. wrote Built to Sell. Uh, how did you know about this topic? You know what? I learned the, the hard way by skinning my knees, by having four companies that I built and ultimately exited, but made all the mistakes in the book. And the last company I sold, I took it to an M&A firm and said, you know, like, what do you think it's worth? We were doing business with all these giant Fortune 500 companies, Microsoft and IBM and JP Morgan Chase. And he looked at me and turned, you know, peered over his glasses and said, you know, I, I don't think it's worth very much. And I was like, what are you talking about? This is my life's work. This is a huge <laughs> company that I'm really proud of. And he said, no, no, it's, it's too dependent on you. It's, it's really not worth anything to anybody else. And it was like a sucker punch to the gut. I mean, it was just felt terrible. And, but, you know, he pointed out some ways that I could make it, first of all, less dependent on me personally, and therefore much more valuable to a third party, which we did and ultimately sold. So long story short, I've made all the mistakes there are and, and tried to codify some of those and built to sell. So you, you started and, and, and then found a way to exit four different companies. What industries were you in? So mostly service businesses. So we did uh, graphic design and a marketing agency, if you will, an event marketing company. Quantitative market research was the business that I was referring to earlier when we helped very large enterprise organizations market and sell to small, medium businesses. So our customers were, again, the largest companies in the world, IBM, Microsoft, and we helped them to reach the SMB market through market research primarily. So being in the services business, you're right. I mean, it's kind of hard to, you know, accelerate and then create that value where you can sell it. So what are some of the tips that you have coming out in this new book, The Art of Selling Your Business? If someone is building a business, what do they need to know to be able to position it to be able to sell? Yeah, I mean, the first and primary kind of idea is to build it so that it's not dependent on you. In a service context, service business context, most of the service providers are dependent on the individuals providing the service. And so the idea in a service company is to productize your servant, make it feel like a thing, uh, brand it like a thing, codify it so that others can deliver it, et cetera. That's what a service company does to create value. Um and that's really the, the kind of cornerstone of building a valuable company is making sure it doesn't depend on you. Once you've done that, it then becomes important to start thinking about your options for harvesting that value. What sort of external ways you could sell your business. There are, are effectively three different types of buyers out there. So there's individual investors, private equity groups, and strategic acquirers. And all of them have different motivations for wanting to buy a business, but understanding that landscape is, is going to be critical as you think about harvesting the value you've created. So I want to go back to this idea of making the business not depend on you. The yeah. problem with a service business, I know because I'm a total solopreneur, right? So on the, 
on the side of my business where I'm I'm a speaker and and now a professional podcaster. Uh, it totally depends on me. If uh, if if I get hit by a bus, the Digital Enterprise Society has to hire somebody else. There's no one else here to step in and be the host of their show. So. Uh, you know, that's something I know as a sole opener, it's hard to do. But even with larger services companies where you can have 20, 30, 40, even as many as 100 companies, sometimes it's all built around the intellectual property that's in the head of the founder. So what are some of the things they need to do to follow your advice? So you're going to take all of the services that you provide as a service provider and you're going to score them on the degree to which they meet three criteria. They need to be teachable, valuable, and repeatable. So let me say that again. So teachable is, can you teach this service to a, an underling to deliver for you? Number one. Number two, how commoditized is it? If it's highly commoditized, you're going to give it a low score on value. Number three is repeatable, meaning to what degree do customers need to repeat purchase this product or service? And you're simply going to put all of your services on a whiteboard or on a piece of paper and score them on those three attributes. The ones that score the lowest are the ones that are probably very dependent on you to deliver. And therefore, you might argue whether they are worth continuing. It's okay to have a service business that is effectively a job, nothing that you could ever sell. That's okay. But as long as you don't uh, inject all of your excess cash into building this company with the thought that you're going to have some pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, which again, for an owner-dependent service business is not going to happen. If you, though, codify it into teachable, valuable, repeatable, you can start to identify services that could scale beyond you personally. Yeah, some of the advice I got when I became a professional speaker was unless you build a training company, you know, it's all built around your personality and your your ability to do what you do. So don't dream that there's anything sellable. Very few people, some have actually, but very few people have been able to sell a business that's built around their name, their personality, their delivery. But they said that, always take a portion of your income and invest it. Always make sure that you have six months of emergency fund, you know, in the in the bank so that you can cover any weird downturns. As it turns out, what they meant was a global pandemic. But <laughs> who, who knew? Whoever I had six I had a six months emergency I actually had about five months emergency fund. But I always would look at that pile of money and think, I should invest this, I should buy more equipment, I should do something with it. But there was that nagging thing that was like, Well, what if you need it? And I thought it must have been in my mind that it was like gonna, gonna be a health issue. I never delivered it was going to be a world health issue, but yeah. uh, but so for individuals and, and small services companies, it's okay to have a business that's not sellable. I've always been fine with that, but you have mm-hmm. to take other precautions to be able to have that value to be able to retire and do some other things. But you're talking about if you're going to be able to have it being teachable, repeatable, and valuable, then you want to set it up from the earliest stages as something you can sell. So if you have a business that's going to fit into that, don't name it. Tom Singer, name it, you know, something that is a sellable name. But if you are named after your surname, if you've got your company name as the same as your last name, that's okay. You can still sell that company if it meets other criteria. For example, if we think of companies like McKinsey, uh, Johnson & Johnson, those are huge global conglomerates that are named after somebody's surname. So they managed to basically get that, that brand equity that lived in that individual and accrue it to the company. How do you do that? Well, in many ways, it's about productizing the name. So in the case of Johnson & Johnson, they invested enormously in the Band-Aid brand, right? So we think of Band-Aids, 
brought to you by Johnson and Johnson, as opposed to Johnson and Johnson that happens to sell band-aids. Mm-hmm. It's a subtle mix, but I think if your name is in the company name, that's not a death knell. You've got to now invest in the products that you offer, the ser- branding, the services that you provide with a name, because that's what's going to give people something to cling on to beyond just your, uh, your name. So let's say that they have all this stuff that we've talked about. They've got it branded correctly. They've built it. They've been doing it for a while. They're listening to this podcast while they're at the gym or they're out for a run or they're driving somewhere and they're like, you know what? Tom and John, they're onto something. I probably should sell this business. Now, what do they need to do? Figure out their pull factors. So, okay. So you refer to the global pandemic and a health event that's what we would refer to as a push factor, meaning there are things in your business that are that are just huge frustrations, right? There's the regulations associated with the pandemic. There are employees, there's red tape, there's bureaucracy, there's all kinds of stuff that as you build a business that frustrate you, that ultimately may frustrate you to the point where you want to sell. That's fine. But what you need to do is go to the next step is to figure out the pull factors, what you're excited to go do. Because as we're wired as entrepreneurs, listen to you, as you described, I love, by the way, Speakernomics. I think that's an awesome name for a podcast. Look, at, but you're on to the next podcast. You've got five of them now. You've got no, four, a, like, you've four got only four, five okay, would be, four. five would be too many. Well, actually right. that's not true. If another organization wanted to pay me to be the host, <laughs> I could on. probably do 12 of them, but right. Uh, right. But my point being that as entrepreneurs, I think we're wired to act and, and, and continue forward. And so the last thing you're going to want to do is sell your business and retire, you know, rocking away on a porch somewhere with a glass of lemonade. That's not what we're wired to do. But what we need to do to have a happy exit is to really think hard about what you would do next. If you had all the money in the world, what would you get excited to go do? Would it be to write a book, to learn to surf, to get fit, whatever? But the, the thing is, we've looked at, we've now had 50,000 businesses go through value, but we've looked at when people regret their decision to sell and when people are happy. And very little of it comes down to the money they make from it. Hmm. Most of the people that are happiest are the ones that have lots of pull factors. And, and that's a, a kind of a core ideology, ideological sort of, I think that you that you need to wrestle with uh, before you actually go through the mechanics of selling your company. All right. So let's talk a little bit deeper about that. So, sure. you know, the people who have these pull factors are much happier. So let's yeah. let's look at the other side. What makes someone unhappy? They just sold their business for 30 million dollars. I would think that would make them happy. <laughs> you would think, wouldn't you? There's there's a few factors. Number one, let's say they do sell their business for $30 million, which sounds like all the money you could ever possibly need or want and then some, right? Here's what happens. Business owner, after a year or two, after maybe a bourbon or two or a glass of wine, they're sitting on their couch after dinner and they think to themselves, did I leave money on the table? did I get taken advantage of? And that happens generally because they negotiate with one buyer. They get suckered into a, a what they call a proprietary deal in the M&A world, which means they basically start negotiating with one provider. And although they have sold their business for objectively more money than you could ever possibly need, they wonder to themselves, could I have gotten 35? 
was 40 on the table. And it's, it's, it's completely irrational, but it's one of the biggest regrets. And the way to inoculate yourself from that regret is to make sure you create competitors. When you go to sell your business, you've got multiple buyers at the table. So for the people who then are happy that they got their $30 million and they never look back, what are a couple of those factors? Yeah. So number one, it's having pull factors. Number two, it's separating your ego from owning a company. You know, for a lot of us, who we are as a person is the fact that we own a company. In fact, when you go to a cocktail party, I'd ask you, Tom, would you be more likely to say, I own a company or I'm a business owner? What would you answer? Uh, Probably I own a company. Good, because that's a healthier relationship than saying I'm a business owner. Because if you think about it, I'm a business owner is essentially commingling your ego, i.e. your self-worth with your role as a business owner. I'm going to caveat that, that a year ago, I probably would have said I'm a professional speaker. Interesting. And, and, And now I would probably say, you know, I have worked in the business of speaking. So part of that is, I've worked on sort of this, you know, uh, what in the spiritual world they call ego death. Uh, I don't know that I want ego death because I kind of like part of my ego, but more ego caging. Uh, so I would have answered it the opposite way a year ago. So that's why I answer it now. Interesting. And I would imagine this pandemic has been hard on you then. Uh, well, yeah, I call March 13th the day my business died. Uh, I was poised to have my biggest year ever doing training inside companies, speaking at association and corporate conferences and then serving as MC for about six or seven big events a year. And uh, I I loved what I did, but I self-identified with it like to the umpteenth degree. Yeah. 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 And we see that uh, for business owners like, you know, like you where their self-worth, if I can use that term, I don't mean it in an airy fairy way. No, totally get it. Yeah. 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 And so what we need to do is, is somehow separate those two things so that a business owner feels proud of the company they've created, but, but proud in a way like a parent is proud of their adolescent who is just about to take their first uh, you know, subtle steps into adulthood, right? Mm-hmm. They're deeply proud of that 16 or 17-year-old child. They, they want the best for them, but they also want them to be independent, right? And, and thrive on their own two feet and be a successful, happy you know, you know, person. Part of you is glad to see them go. And part of, <laughs> part of you wants to brag to your friends that they went to Carnegie Mellon or Dartmouth. Right, right, exactly. But there's- By, there, by the way, that was my subtle brag. Those are the two schools my kids went to. Oh, is that right? Okay, well, there you go. <laughs> but I think it's, look, it's, it's a, an analogy that I think is apropos for a lot of reasons. Look, when you run a business, you, you have a choice to make. You can, you can try to build it, um, to maximize your profit and maximize your revenue, which is what 99% of people will tell you to do. I take a slightly different view. And that is that I, I think you're going to build a much better business if you think of it like a child. And you think of it as the goal of your life is to somehow take that little tiny being and over years coddle it to the point where it can subsist without you. And that's success. Although and a lot of parents don't want to, you know, I'm, I'm pretty hands off now. I have an 18 year old and a 23 year old. And, you know, with, aside from still having to pay for everything for the 18 year old, you know, I'm pretty much like, look, they're little adults. Uh, right. But some parents don't want to let go. I imagine that's true with some business owners. Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, that's fine. But don't expect to ever sell your company. And if you do, 
don't expect to be happy with your decision to sell because people whose entire sort of, uh, again, self-worth is that they own this business. They walk up and down Main Street and, and are proud that people recognize them for the being the business owner that they are. That's great. But but I think you'll find that selling will be an emotional shock uh, that you that you have trouble recovering from. So give me one more tip for the person who wants to sell their business. What else do they have to do? I mean, the biggest thing that you're going to want to do is position your company in the eyes of an acquirer because acquirers like consumers use positioning shortcuts, right? You remember the Jack Rizal trope book, Positioning Battle for Your Mind. Consumers use positioning to, to figure out what products to buy. Similarly, acquirers also use positioning. And so if you find out that an acquirer is looking to buy an e-learning business, for example, and you're referring to yourself as a web design business, yet you do a lot of e-learning, you're going to want to make that change and start referring yourself as an industry leader in an industry where companies want to be, want to make acquisitions. And so swim downstream, position your company successfully in the eyes of an acquirer. That's going to be uh, one of the main, one of the big steps to, to making sure you have a successful exit. So John, I've got a couple more questions for you before I let you go. But first sure. I have to thank the other sponsor of this episode. So the rest of this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly, they take the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. Podfly sets you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure you're going to sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and that pesky technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing people who are making waves in business like John Warlow. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know, I know that some of you do, over a million other people have. Jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show because they'll give you a little discount because I sent you. So, John, I call the show sort of making way. I call the show making waves at sea level. And I kind of want to know, how do you think a business owner can make waves if they're going to sell? What, what's, what's their splash? Yeah. So, look, you want to again, create competitive tension. You want lots of people to know about you. One of my favorite stories in the book is this guy named Dan Martell who had a media company that he was afraid he was going to have to start negotiating with one buyer and not, not create some competitive tension. So he hosted an event. Now, I know in the pandemic world, we can't host physical live events, but soon, hopefully with this vaccine, we'll be back to physical events. And for your from, sake. From your <laughs> lips to God's ears, John. <laughs> He holds this event and he invites the three CEOs of these large media companies that he thinks are best poised to buy his company. What's he done by doing that? Number one, he has communicated to all three of them simultaneously that if they are going to acquire his business, they are likely going to have to compete with the other two because they've seen the whites of the eyes of the other two and they know that Dan knows all three of them. And it's a subtle way of communicating that if you're going to buy my business, you're going to have to do it competing with somebody else. There's a there's the, the corollary, the other side of that is that 
for a lot of buyers, they don't want to be part of a beauty pageant, right? They don't want to be part of some auction where they're used as a pawn. They want to know that they've got some sort of proprietary access to you as a business owner. Um, and you want the opposite. And so there's a subtlety that there's a bit of a dance that goes on. You want to communicate there's other players without necessarily being so bold as to say there's 10 players, because you might find that they'll just walk at that point. And so I thought Dan with his little strategy of inviting all three CEOs to the cocktail party, did a really nice job of sort of communicating in a subtle way that there was going to be tension or competitive tension for this deal. Oh, that, that, that's kind of a cool story. And that's in the new book? It is, yeah. So the new book comes out in January. So I assume pre-orders are currently available on Amazon and all the f- places people would get books? Yeah, the best place to go is builttosell.com slash selling, where we put together some pre-order offers. Um, We've got a seven-part guest speaker series where we've got people that I profiled in the book uh, coming in to provide answers to people's direct questions. So people like Jay Steinfeld, who sold uh, blinds.com, a $100 million company to Home Depot. So it's a pretty cool opportunity. So it's builttosell.com slash selling. Awesome. Well, I can't wait to to get the book, although I don't have a business I can sell yet. I'm only 54. We could start something new next week. Hey, last question I ask everybody who comes on the show is when you look out into the world of business and you know a lot of people, you've seen a lot of things, who do you look at and say, wow, she or he, they're the ones making waves. So who do you admire? I mean, I hate to be cliche, but I think Elon Musk- Number is- number one answer in yeah. 620 episodes is Elon yeah. Musk. But you know what's cool about Elon Musk? Is he just announced this month, he's moving to Austin, Texas. There you go. So he's going to be a neighbor. I think he's just incredible. Yeah. Uh, and, and just the, the fact that he, what, what I find so amazing about Musk, and I don't know the man, I just know his reputation, is he has been so successful in disparate industries. And we can all point to people that have had success over success over success in the same industry, which I think is an incredible accomplishment. But man, Musk has done it in, you know, financial services and cars and yep. space. I mean, he's just, it's unbelievable. So yeah. I think he's an interesting guy. And and he is. And I always laugh because it's the number one answer. But if you asked me, I'd probably say the same person. And I don't know him either. But he's moving to Austin. So if he wants to be a guest on Making Waves at Sea Level, and if anybody knows him, uh, if he moves into the house next door to you, uh, granted, you'd probably need a golf cart to get there because it's probably going to have a fleet of Tesla. You're probably not going to just look over the, the fence and see him back there mowing the lawn. But uh, I'd love to have him on the show. That 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 would That would change the trajectory of my show. We could probably sell it then. I'd have to call John. So, so John, any final words of advice? You know what? No, I think the the, the big uh, idea that I wanted to impart on your listeners is this notion of the freedom point. When we reach a point where selling our company would create enough wealth that would allow you to live happily and successfully for the rest of your life, it's worth asking yourself at that freedom point, whether you want to continue to gamble that freedom to get to the next level. And, and I think the answer can be, yes, I want to, and, and my business brings me intrinsic value and I love it, et cetera, which is great. You're making that decision consciously. But if you haven't made that decision consciously, you're really the, the kind of gambler who's putting all his chips on the table at Vegas and hope that the cards will turn it right. Because we never know what the next pandemic is going to be, God forbid. Um, and so when you reach the freedom point, and your business, if you sold it, would create enough liquid wealth. It's just worth asking yourself the question. 
Awesome. Well, John Warlow, author of Built to Sell and the soon to come The Art of Selling Your Business and the founder of the Value Builder System. Thank you so much for being a guest here on Making Waves at Sea Level. And thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened. I say it every single episode. If it wasn't for the audience, why would we do this podcast or any of the podcasts that I host? It's always about just having this this interaction. So if you like the show, yes, like all podcasters in history, I want you to go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review, five stars, leave a few sentences about how awesome I am. But the reality is, is that I want you to tell somebody about the show because people find this show through word of mouth and it makes me happy when someone says, oh, my sister, my cousin, my boss, somebody told me about your show and they reach out to me. So, so go ahead and tell somebody about the show and come back in a couple of days where we're going to have an interview with somebody just as cool as John Warlow who is making waves in their business. And I know you're thinking, how will you ever find anybody as cool as John? But we'll do it. We do it every single week, two times. Uh, So in the meantime, go out there, flex your entrepreneurial muscles. Make sure that your career ladder is against the correct wall because climbing to the top of the career ladder, finding out you're in the wrong place, that sucks. I might know firsthand because maybe I did that for a while. Yep. And then while you're out there doing all this stuff, have some fun. Go out there and have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast. Without your listening to these in-depth conversations, there would be no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter and Instagram at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.